This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. As I said before, it's this day, not good days or bad days. This day, every day. This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this service tonight. I'm pleased that you've joined me, and once more we will seek to turn the studio into a sanctuary and worship the living God. Just a quick word about the website. Please look at the website, HalBradyMinistries.com. You'll find some sermons that have been preached in the past. You will find a Facebook devotional, and you will also find a word on Twitter. Thank you for joining me tonight. Our scripture lesson comes from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, 
They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the good will of all the people. And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me for prayer? Oh God, thank you for this time together. We are grateful for your blessings far too numerous to name. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for giving us this opportunity of worshiping together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The question before us today is, who defines the church? It's a proper question because the church is a result not only of Pentecost, but of the resurrection as well. It's also a proper question because the church, with its busy, hectic activities, is always in need of redefinition and renewal. So who defines the church? Do non-members define the church? Do critics define the church? Does the media define the church? Do inactive members of the church define the church? Dr. Helmut Tillich, noted German theologian and preacher, correctly has stated, the church cannot permit its authority to be defined by people who have no idea of its mission. So who defines the church? The overwhelming testimony of the New Testament is that God defines the church. God defines the church what it is and what it ought to be. And again, I want to read you that scripture lesson because it's so important to understand this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the good will of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Here Luke gives us a sketch, a sketch of this new Messianic community. He gives us a sketch of what the church is and what the church ought to be. This is God's idea of the church, what it is and what it ought to be. For a little while, I want us to focus on what I'm calling what holds us together. First of all, the church is the dinner invitation that breaks down all barriers. The church is a dinner invitation that breaks down all barriers. Not long ago, my wife and I were invited to an awards and recognition banquet. We were invited because of the great works of one of our friends and all that he had done for this particular institution. It was a marvelous event, for sure. But as I looked at that invitation, I not only thought of my friend and how grateful I was for him, but I thought of the church. Because this is the church as it was and as it is. The church itself is a dinner invitation that breaks down all barriers. That's what the church is. Luke says, and they devoted themselves to coming together to worship God by the breaking of bread. If we're going to start talking about the church, we have to start with the breaking of bread. So what is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? I want us to think about that for a few minutes. First of all, it's always a memorial meal. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Secondly, it's a celebration of the resurrected Christ. 
One of my friends said we have to be careful when we go to Holy Communion not to make it awake because primarily people are not there to worship a dead Christ. They're there to worship a living Lord, a living Lord. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes implies a living Christ, a living Christ. And in Wesleyan terms, we believe that the that Jesus is present at the table of Holy Communion, not through the cup and the bread, but through the Holy Spirit himself, through the Holy Spirit. And then this Lord's Supper is also a pledge for the future. There was an older man and a teenager who were in the same room in a hospital. And one day the teenager said to the older man, what are you looking forward to? The older man said, same as you, Sonny, the future. When we come to the Lord's table, we're looking forward to the future. Any adequate celebration of the Lord's Supper is going to have these ingredients. First of all, we're going to look backward to a once and for all historic sacrifice for our sins. Then we're going to worship the living God. Thirdly, we're going to look forward to the consummation of all of God's purposes in the world and the coming again of Christ. And then, fourthly, as we go to the table of the Lord's Supper, we go to offer ourselves. Of course, we come to that table not only to receive, but we come to make an offering of our lives. Do you remember what it was that was said by the people who come? We are told that we should make our bodies a sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Now, you know, like many of you, I enjoy first-class things. I enjoy going to first-class restaurants. I enjoy doing first-class things, even riding on airplanes occasionally in first-class or business sections. But I also even enjoy that curtain that's there that sort of separates the aisles. It makes it seem less crowded. But let me tell you something that you and I both need to be aware of. It is said that when Jesus breathed his last, that that temple curtain was cut in two from top to bottom. What that means is there is no longer a difference between the godly and the ungodly. This is the heart of the gospel. There's no longer any difference between any of us because of the very heart of the gospel. So how does that invitation go? Ye that do truly and earnestly repent of your sins and are in love and charity with your neighbors. So you see, the church is the holder of the dinner invitation that breaks down all barriers. And then secondly, the church is a community of growth or learning, a community of growth or learning. Luke says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. One day a man called a church by mistake, and interestingly enough, the secretary, who usually answered the phone in a certain way, she was not paying attention. She just said, hello. The man immediately said, I want a pound of barbecue. I want two pints of slaw, and I want a dozen hush puppies. She said, wait a minute, sir, you have things mixed up. We're not a, eating a place here. You have the wrong number. And the man hesitated a minute. He said, well, what do you sell? What is your business? That's a good question for the church. But the answer is we are in the redemption business. That's a fair question. The early church was now a reality. It was a vigorous band of people who were drawn together and kept together by no other thing than their conviction in Jesus Christ. Now, a clue to the apostles' teaching, and they were centered in the apostles' teaching. Now, a clue to the apostles' teaching 
It's what was required of the person who followed Judas Iscariot. You remember the requirement was that they had been with Jesus and knew the facts from the beginning. So I think what happened was it was these facts about the word and witness of Jesus that was incorporated into the Gospels that came the center of the apostles' teaching. Let me tell you, one of the things that bothers me about the modern church is I think we've wandered away from the apostles' teaching. Many Sunday school classes just think a good lesson and good fellowship is all that's necessary. But the result of not centering on the apostles' teaching is that there's a lack of meaning and there's a lack of joy in people's lives. Leslie Newbigin was considered one of the great thinkers of the 20th century. He was the bishop of the Church of South Indonesia. When he died, when he died, they had a funeral. A man by the name of Reverend Dan Beebe gave the, the information about him. And this is what he said about Bishop Newbigin. He knew everybody and talked easily with the great, but he talked easily with the humble and lost. When he dropped a name, it was always the name of Jesus. Boy, I love that. When he dropped a name, it was always the name of Jesus. Donald Miller, who's a well-known minister and seminary president, said one Saturday night, a woman called him. And when he answered the phone, she said, Dr. Miller, what do we believe? Dr. Miller answered to be sure he was not absolutely sure what the lady was saying. He said, what do you mean? She said, I want to know what we believe. She said, just a few minutes ago, I was at a dinner party where people were there from different faiths, and they began to express what they believed. There was a woman who was a Jew, and she told us what she believed as a Jew. Then there were some Catholics there, and they spoke of what the Catholic Church believes. There was a Christian scientist there, and he spoke of what the Christian scientists believe. And then it came to me, and she said, I was the only Protestant there. And she said, frankly, I didn't know what to say. What do we believe? And I remember Dr. Miller said, evidently she came into the church on the confusion of faith and not the confession of faith. The confusion of faith and not the confession of faith. That is a powerful testimony to the fact that maybe we are not focusing on the apostles' teaching as we should be. The church is a community of growth or learning. It's centered in Jesus Christ. The purpose of our theology, the purpose of our sermons, the purpose of our Sunday school lessons, the purpose of our music is to proclaim the faith in the living God of this universe who's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. That is the center of our teaching. William Barclay made this comment. He said, if you live a single day without learning something new, you have wasted that day. And you have wasted that day if you have not grown in the wisdom and love of God. And then thirdly, the church is an uncommon fellowship. An uncommon fellowship. There were three ministers going down a path. There was a Catholic priest, a Protestant minister, and a Jewish rabbi. As they were going down the path, they were interrupted by this very godmother. She said, listen, I'd like to enable each of you to make one wish. So she said to the Catholic priest, what do you wish? He said, I wish all the Protestants would disappear from the earth. And then she said to the Protestant minister, what do you wish? He said, I wish all the Catholics would disappear from the earth. And then she said to the Jewish rabbi, what do you think? He said, oh, don't bother about me. Just take care of my friends. When I start talking about fellowship, I'm not talking about that kind of fellowship. I'm talking about an uncommon fellowship. Luke says, and they devoted themselves to fellowship. The fellowship of the early church was not just this sentimental 
kind of friendship that we have sometimes in the world. It was not just a human-initiated, warm, fickle feeling. It was not that at all. The fellowship of the early church was initiated by God. And this is what the scripture says. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all who had need. The church was born. A new humanity came into being. The God of reconciliation was not only reconciling himself to us, but reconciliation was taking place between people and people that was being fulfilled. Here I'm talking about the communion, communion of the Holy Spirit. There's a word in Greek called koinonia. It means in-depth fellowship. The Holy Spirit was bringing about an in-depth fellowship through Jesus Christ, where people in the church realized that they were responsible for their brothers and sisters, for caring for them, for forgiving them, for loving them, for helping them. Now, this kind of fellowship is not based on gender. It's not based on achievements. It's not based on race. It's only based on the fact that everybody matters. There are no exceptions to it whatsoever. Everybody matters. Jesus promised to be present where two or three are gathered together in his name. In modern terms, what that means is there are no dorks in the church. There's nobody who didn't make the cut in the church. Everybody in the church made the cut. Everybody matters. Everybody. To me, the best example of this kind of fellowship is found in the intensive care unit of a hospital. When I was working on my Doctor of Ministry degree at Emory University Hospital, I was assigned to the sixth floor of Emory Hospital, which was the cancer unit, and then I was also assigned to the intensive care waiting room at Eggleston Hospital. This was a children's hospital. At that time, they only had one waiting room. People would be sitting in there whose children had just had poison, people who were much better than their children, and all kinds of conditions related to children. And so you had to be very careful. But what I came to find out was this was a different kind of fellowship. There were no strangers in that intensive care waiting room. Politics didn't matter one bit. Society or social class mattered not at all. Race, nationality, gender, none of that mattered whatsoever. Everybody was just there trying to help one another. They were rejoicing with those who were rejoicing and crying with those who were crying. It was a different kind of fellowship. And I got to thinking, that's the way God intends all of us to live all the time. And that ought to characterize the fellowship of the church. It's an uncommon fellowship. An uncommon fellowship. And then finally, there's one other thing I want to share with you. The church is a community that does not neglect its devotional life. It does not neglect its devotional life. Luke tells us that these people of the way continued in their prayers day by day. They did not break the habits of their ancestors. They went into that temple every day to practice their devoutness. If you look at the fifth chapter of Genesis, you'll find a story about a man named Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him. What does it mean to walk with God? What did it mean for Enoch to walk with God? First of all, it meant that Enoch went in the same direction that God went. The same direction. If you walk with God, you'll know where God is walking and you'll walk with him. Secondly, for Enoch, it meant that he kept step with God. You have to keep step with somebody. You don't walk behind them or in front of them. You walk beside them, keeping step. How do we keep step with God? It's through our prayers, our Bible studies, and our ministries. That's how we do it. There was a fellow named Philip Yancey who wrote a book called Church. Why bother? 
in that book, he wrote about how he had come to believe. He said that he went from one place to the other, but he had learned a lot about church. He had gone from a, simply an observer to a participant, and this is how he did it. He said he learned to look up. Whenever we look up, we are declaring who owns it all. We are worshiping who owns it all. Secondly, he looked around. It's easy to forget that the church was the first institution in history that put people on an equal footing. I'm talking about the rich and the poor, men and women, slaves and free, Jews and Gentiles. The church was the first institution that declared people equal footing. Thirdly, he said he learned to look outward. Someone has defined the church in a very earthy manner. They said the church is like manure, manure. He said, pile it together and it smells up the neighborhood. Spread it out and it blesses humankind. Spread it out and it blesses humankind. And then he learned to look inward. He said, simply by going to church Sunday by Sunday, it was by osmosis that he began to understand more and more about the grace of God. If I were to ask you right now this question, how would you answer? The church is. What would you say it is? The church is. Well, John Wesley defined it this way, a body of people united together in service to God. A body of people united together in service to God. So who defines the church? God defines the church. What it is and what it ought to be. God defines the church forever and forever. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh God, for this lesson of Scripture. We're grateful that we can focus on your word and we pray that we will understand anew. Thank you for these people who are watching this ministry tonight. I pray that you bless them, meet them at the point of their need. And as always, we pray for the leaders of the world, our president and our Congress people and others, O oh Lord, who are in authority. Guide them and bless them and make them a blessing for the good of the nation and the world. It's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this service tonight. I pray that you have been blessed. Please share the program with your friends. Good night. Now rule in every heart I
Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air, so please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031, or you can give securely online at HalBradyMinistries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.